Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Static. Mark Chenoweth here. John Vecchioni will be with us shortly. But I wanted to start off the program uh, today talking about a new lawsuit that the New Civil Liberties Alliance filed this past week against the Massachusetts Department of Health. You may have heard about this. It's gotten a little bit of attention. But it turns out that the Commonwealth of Massachusetts was working with Google to auto-install spyware on the smartphones of more than a million residents of Massachusetts without their knowledge or consent, all in a misguided effort to combat COVID-19 with uh, contact tracing. So let's leave aside for the moment the fact that contact tracing turned out to not be an effective way uh, to fight uh, the transmission of of COVID-19. And let's focus on what the government of Massachusetts did. Uh, I started to say to its citizens, but it actually wasn't limited to Massachusetts citizens because anyone who owned an Android mobile device was subject to this auto downloading if they were in the state of Massachusetts. So you might have been living in New Hampshire and driving to Massachusetts for work, or I suppose you might have even been landing at the airport at Logan or something. And if you had an Android device, then the Massachusetts government was somehow downloading this contact tracing software on your phone without your knowledge and without your permission. So we decided uh, this looked like a brazen disregard for civil liberties and something that certainly violates the uh, Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of Massachusetts. And so NCLA uh, has filed a class action lawsuit on behalf of folks with Android mobile devices uh, who who live or have passed through uh, Massachusetts and who have had this uh, auto downloading uh, thing happen uh, to their uh, to their device this this covert installation of of a COVID tracing uh, app the uh, the plaintiffs in this case are Robert Wright and Johnny Kula and they uh, they own Android mobile devices they live or work uh, in Massachusetts and uh, the thing that that is problematic about this. Maybe this is is obvious, but it's worth saying. The problem here is that the state of Massachusetts doesn't have a right to conduct a search of your phone, of your person, of your whereabouts without a warrant. There has to be, under the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, there has to be uh, a reasonable search. And uh, under Supreme Court precedent, typically you have to have a warrant in order to conduct some kind of of a search, uh, and this uh, this was done without any sort of search even being sought. In fact, what ha- <clears throat> what apparently what happened, a lot of states were working with with Google to set up their own uh, sort of apps that that could be used for contact tracing. Uh, but uh, so, for example, in in Washington D.C., where I live, every time I would drive from Virginia over the Potomac River uh, on one of the bridges. I would get a, an alert on my phone that would ask if I wanted to download Washington, D.C.'s contact tracing 
uh, app onto my phone. And so I would always say, no, I don't want to, to, dump, to download that. Uh, but it, uh, uh, the one in Washington, D.C., and as far as we know, uh, nowhere else in the country was it downloading automatically. And the uptake on these, uh, on these contact tracing things wasn't very great. Uh, a lot of people didn't want to have the government on their smartphone, uh, unsurprisingly. Uh, but Massachusetts was, as far as we can tell, the only state that thought it was a good idea when their app was not being voluntarily downloaded uh, to, to decide to go ahead and uh, essentially force download it without people's knowledge uh, or permission. And the fact that they, that they did this without, with, you know, without alerting people tells you that they know that people weren't going to like it and didn't want to have it, right? I mean, if, if this isn't just a matter of convenience, it's not like if uh, uh, if people the people would be grateful for the government uh, taking the extra steps, so it's so difficult for them to go and make sure they've got the right thing and and to download it on their device. It was so nice of the government to automatically do this for them. No, 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 no. If that's what the government thought, then the government would have made that app pop up on your homepage so that you could see that an app had been downloaded on your phone. That is not what happened. This app was surreptitiously downloaded and did not appear on your home screen with all your other apps. The only way that you could find it would be to go to the uh, settings device or settings uh, page on your device and use the view all apps feature. And then you would see the presence of this, this new app that you did not choose uh, to download. So that uh, that's how they secretly installed it. And then to make matters worse, uh, our clients and some other folks noticed that this had happened, and so they uninstalled the device from their app. And guess what happened? It reinstalled uh, once again. So this is something that even once you take it off of your device, it's reinstalling. Now, what I don't know is whether it's somehow reinstalling based on on some, uh, some aspect of the software that stays on your phone that sort of reaches out and, and requests a reinstallation, or whether this is just uh, whatever caused it to download the first time, it sees your device. It recognizes that you know now that it's been taken off there, it sort of sees it as a virgin device and says, "Okay, uh, this this Android device doesn't have the, the 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 contact tracing app, so we're going to download it again." I'm not sure exactly what the method is there or or, or why that is, but suffice it to say, you can't take it off. Uh, even if you take it off your phone, it reinstalls, and so you have it on there. So that's the that's the problem uh, with this, and that's why. It's going to take a class action uh, lawsuit uh, that, by the way, contains nine counts against uh, the Department of Public Health, including violations of the Fourth and Fifth Amendments of the U.S. Constitution and the corresponding uh, articles of the Massachusetts Declaration of Rights. Uh, We also have a trespass uh, argument, uh, a common law trespass argument, where the government is trespassing on your device uh, as as one of those counts. Uh, But the uh, the, the Fourth Amendment we've talked about, the lack of a, of a warrant here, uh, a violation of your privacy, a, a search without consent is a pretty uh, straightforward violation of the Fourth Amendment. The Fifth Amendment may, may not be as obvious, but uh, under the Fifth Amendment, the government cannot take private property for public use without just compensation. And uh, they are clearly taking your private property if they are downloading something onto your phone, right? They're taking up space on your phone. They're using up the battery life of your phone. You might think it's de minimis, but that, that doesn't really matter. That, that, and it's not necessarily de minimis if it's using 
your Bluetooth device when you don't want that device to be used. It's it's pinging other devices. It's it's pinging where you are located, and it's storing that location information on your phone, which might not have been happening without this this app. In all sorts of ways, uh, it's it's using your phone against you. I mean, in the way that spyware does, uh, and it is occupying space uh, on your phone. So that is a, a violation. That's a taking of your private property for the government's use, and there hasn't been any compensation uh, for that for that taking. So that is uh, a violation uh, of the Fifth Amendment. Now, it's important to say that there is no statutory authority that supports uh, what DPH did here. Uh, it doesn't serve a public health purpose, especially, uh, by the way, Massachusetts has ended its statewide contact tracing program. So uh, you, you certainly can't say that it's continuing to serve a public health purpose. Uh, but to our knowledge, Massachusetts has not uh, yet uh, unloaded uh, or or deleted this contact tracing app from all of the phones where it was uh, downloaded. So you have DPH secretly installing software without any law or regulation authorizing DPH uh, to do that. Uh, And so we're asking the U.S. District Court for the District of Massachusetts, that's the federal court in Massachusetts, federal trial court in Massachusetts, to grant injunctive relief to stop the government from doing these downloads. Uh, We're asking for nominal damages uh, to the class, and and we're asking for the the court to put an end uh, to this uh, and, you know, we also, you need the government to, to delete any of the data that it has in its systems, because as they say, some of this is stored on your phone, uh, but some of this could also be sent from your phone to the government. So to the extent that the state of Massachusetts has, or the Commonwealth of Massachusetts has any private information about individuals that was obtained uh, through this surreptitious installation uh, of the app, that information needs to be deleted. Uh, because the government doesn't have any right uh, to obtain that information, certainly doesn't have any right to hang on to information that it obtained about you illegally and in violation of the state and federal constitution. Uh, Some folks have asked us, well, what about iPhone users? It appears that Massachusetts had an app for iPhone users as well, uh, but that users had to consent before that app would download on their devices. And what, what I don't know is whether... Uh, why Massachusetts treated those two kinds of devices differently, why the, the Android and the Apple were different. And my, my, my working assumption is that, that Apple must have, must have uh, worked with Massachusetts differently and said, well, we're not going to provide you with that auto installation capability uh, on the iPhone. Uh, but but uh, regardless of what happened in the Apple situation, uh, this lawsuit is against uh, the state of Massachusetts over the Android situation. Other people have asked, well, why aren't you suing Google at the same time? Uh, other folks have sued Google successfully uh, over contact tracing uh, sorts of things that have happened in, in other states. Why aren't you going after Google? Well, the New Civil Liberties Alliance is interested in making sure that governments stay within the constitutional lines. That's where our focus is. So we want to make sure that the Commonwealth of Massachusetts isn't violating the constitutional rights of its citizens, and that's where we're focusing our time and attention and energy. And if we can get them to stop doing what they're doing here, I think that will set a solid precedent, and it will also work to restore 
uh, the privacy rights of those uh, in Massachusetts uh, who had their privacy uh, violated. So we'll keep you posted on what happens uh, with this litigation. Uh, Feel free to go to our website at nclalegal.org if you want to learn more about it or read the complaint that we filed in Massachusetts. We'll be back with more right after this. Mark Chenoweth here and wanted to alert you to another brief that the New Civil Liberties Alliance uh, filed this past week. But first, I I meant to give credit to my colleague, Shang Lee, in the last segment talking about uh, the lawsuit that uh, was filed against the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Uh, Shang Lee has been the the attorney at the New Civil Liberties Alliance who has done the most uh, work uh, working with uh, with our colleague Peggy Little a little bit, but but Shang has really had the laboring oar in uh, getting to the bottom of what happened in Massachusetts and in uh, putting together the complaint and and uh, working working on that issue. So so want to give props where they're due uh, to to Shang, uh, who is a, a terrific lawyer, done a terrific job with that uh, that complaint, and and will continue to be uh, our lead on on that lawsuit. Uh, which brings me to a second brief that we filed this past week. Uh, this one is an amicus curiae brief uh, that was that NCLA filed in the United States Court of Appeals uh, for the Sixth Sixth Circuit, and that's the circuit that covers Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee. It's also the circuit where I clerked uh, once upon a time over over twenty years ago. Uh, but the, the the issue in this case, uh, and this is another brief that uh, that Shang Lee worked on along with our colleague uh, Richard Samp. Uh, the issue in this case. Uh, well, first of all, the case name is All States Refractory Contractors v. Martin Walsh in his official capacity as Secretary of Labor. And the case number is uh, 22-3772. And the issue in this case is essentially whether or not the uh, Occupational Safety and Health Administration uh, is uh, an unlawful, unconstitutional delegation of legislative power. And you might say, well, how can that be? OSHA has been around uh, forever. And the, the short answer is that uh, you know, folks have not, have not challenged it, but there's been a sort of a, a, an understanding or maybe a, uh, it, it's been a running example in the academic literature of an extremely broad delegation of legislative, uh, legislative power. In fact, uh, my old administrative law professor uh, at the University of Chicago, uh, Cass Sunstein, who was the, by the way, was the head of uh, of, uh, of OIRA uh, under the Obama administration. He was the the, the person who uh, oversaw the, the sort of the regulatory oversight for the Obama uh, administration. Uh, he's a professor at Harvard now, Harvard Law School. Uh, Cass Sunstein had written an article uh, suggesting that perhaps OSHA uh, that if sort of if anything is an unconstitutional delegation of Congress's legislative power, uh, then then it then it could be uh, that that OSHA uh, is, and the reason is that uh, the uh, 
what what was uh, what was delegated uh, in that case, or, or the the language that's in that uh, that's in that statute, gives uh, appears to give the legislative power to promulgate permanent safety standards by authorizing the Secretary of Labor to promulgate, modify, or revoke any occupational safety standard he deems quote reasonably necessary or appropriate unquote so if you're if the if congress is giving the secretary of labor the ability to write safety standards that the secretary of labor subjectively thinks are reasonably necessary or appropriate it's hard to see what the limiting principle is there uh, you know even under the current sort of toothless version of of the non-delegation doctrine uh you, you have to think that that that's uh, that that's not really an intelligible principle uh, for the Secretary of Labor to follow, or uh, or if it is uh, an intelligible if it is an intelligible principle, then it, I mean it's not it's not unintelligible in the sense that it doesn't tell the Secretary of Labor what he can and can't do, uh, but it but it is unintelligible in the sense that it doesn't tell the Secretary of Labor anything that he can't do. It's just Whatever you think is reasonably necessary or appropriate uh, is uh, uh, is uh, lawful under this under this delegation. So uh, what the what the and this is not a piece of of a litigation that uh, NCLA has brought, but we have filed an amicus brief uh, in the case, and we've made uh, an argument similar to what we have made in our other you know, kinds of non delegation cases, which is that Congress uh, may not divest legislative power that Article I of the Constitution vests in the Congress, even to an executive agency like uh, OSHA. The, the, the Act's criteria for safety standards is so open-ended that it essentially delegates unchecked legislative authority to the executive branch to enact workplace safety laws and such unfettered discretion uh, to issue safety standards under Section 6B of the, of the OSHA Act. Uh, is uh, unconstitutional. The district court in this case, by the way, concluded that the that the act did meet the non-delegation doctrines rather undemanding intelligible uh, principle test. Uh, it held that Congress had uh, permissibly delegated to OSHA the discretion to determine both the adequate level of public safety and then to set standards based upon uh, OSHA's determination uh, of what the adequate level of public safety uh, is. But a statute that has such a subjective criterion to guide executive branch uh, conduct really renders the intelligible principle test meaningless. So in other words, if if the current non-delegation test allows this, then the test has to go. I mean, this just you can't have a standard that is so uh, sort of a hurdle that's so low that that something like this can clear it, because if this can clear it, then it really does open up Congress to be able to, uh, to to divest all of its legislative power. And for those who haven't heard our our shtick on uh, non-delegation before, let me point out that the problem uh, with allowing Congress to divest legislative power to a federal agency is that Congress can't take it back. So when you talk about delegation, typically, and if you think about it in the context of of uh, you know you you delegate. Uh, the, the authority to your to your your son or daughter to go to the store and pick up something for dinner. Well, uh, you know you may not have given them very much guidance on what to on what to select, but maybe you 
maybe it occurs to you as they're on their way to the store, you know what, I really want them to pick up a frozen pizza. That'll be easy and simple and they'll like it. And so you call them on the phone and you say, hey, I want you to pick up a frozen pizza. Or you might call and say, hey, never mind. Uh, you know, your, uh, your mom or your dad brought dinner home. Come on back. We don't need you to pick up anything uh, anymore. You have that ability to immediately, unilaterally retract the authority that you gave. But when you think about it, Congress can't do that. Congress can't unilaterally retract that authority that it handed over uh, to the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Well, you, you might say, well, why not? They just all Congress has to do is pass a pass a new law. Well, first of all, passing a law is difficult. Uh, so it's very it's an uphill battle to get both houses of, of Congress on board to do anything, uh, let alone take back responsibility over something that maybe Congress would rather just uh, be able to wash its hands of and say, oh, you know, no one can blame us for these unpopular uh, standards. Uh, but even even if you you forget about how difficult it is just to get the both branches of Congress to agree to it. The, the other problem is that the president has veto power over anything that Congress passes. So once Congress divests this legislative power to the executive branch, why on earth would the president approve giving that power back to the other branch? They've already given the power away. The, the president, the executive branch, would just as soon have that power because they can use it or not use it uh, as they so so choose, uh, as, they, as the president's... Uh, Secretary of Labor thinks is reasonable or isn't reasonable. And if the president doesn't like what his Secretary of Labor is doing, then the president can can fire the Secretary of Labor and put somebody in who will do standards the way that the president sees fit. So why would you want to give that power uh, back to Congress? Well, that's exactly why it's the job of the federal courts to step in and tell the, the legislative branch that they can't uh, that they can't do this kind of divestment, because if they uh, if they are if they're going to do that kind of divestment, then it's upsetting the separation of powers where the legislative responsibility, the public policy policymaking responsibility is really supposed to be with the elected legislators and the legislative branch. And it's really just up to the executive to to execute the law. Uh, and that that all goes away if uh, if the executive branch is both writing the rules and enforcing the rules. And that's what happens at OSHA now. OSHA writes the rules. OSHA enforces the rules. Uh, OSHA even adjudicates these things sometimes. So it's uh, it's it's doing exactly what the Constitution was set up to avoid, which is it's combining legislative, executive, and judicial power all in one entity. And that's the problem uh, with with OSHA. That's the problem with something like the reasonably necessary or appropriate standard that again is completely subjective and and fails to constrain. Uh, the discretion uh, of the Department of Labor or of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. And that's why the Sixth Circuit uh, should issue a permanent injunction uh, preventing OSHA from enforcing the standard at issue in this case. And maybe I'll just make a make a quick point to say folks sometimes treat these kinds of cases as though the sky is falling, that if the Sixth Circuit would would strike down this rule that somehow uh, all safety standards everywhere in America would suddenly be be gone and wiped away, and that that, that uh, uh, un, an unsafe world would would descend upon everyone. Well, that's not really what would need to happen here. Uh, the Sixth Circuit only needs to enjoin this one rule that's being challenged here, and if uh, if someone else wants to challenge a different rule under the same theory, they can do that. But challenging one rule need not make all of OSHA go away. Uh, the rules can be challenged one at a time. They can be eliminated or, or repealed one at a time. 
And Congress has the power uh, in the meantime to convene and to pass legislation uh, that, uh, that, uh, that would reinforce or would, would adopt any of the existing standards that it wants to adopt or adjust any of the existing standards it wants to adjust. And the president would have an incentive then uh, to sign on to uh, not veto that legislation, because if he does veto it, then the, the, the courts have, have signaled that the executive's power in this area is going to wane. So if, if, they want to, if the executive wants to keep those safety standards in place, they'll have to play ball with Congress going forward. So that's why uh, it, it, it's functional for the judiciary uh, to, to step in and play this referee role and blow the whistle here and say that, uh, that OSHA is out of bounds. And hopefully that will happen at the Sixth Circuit. We'll keep you posted. Uh, and uh, join us right after this, where John Becchioni will, uh, will be with us to, to talk about uh, some, some other interesting things that CLA has been up to this week.